It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Y'all got to come back before I did. (laughs) I was uh, stuck at home, watched more than one church service, more than one place. I wrapped up listening to one preacher, started listening to Brother Texas as soon as uh, as soon as he got up uh, last week. So I, I, I tuned into about three different church services before uh, before y'all got started. So uh, one advantage of our current situation is that lots of people who said they would never ever have a Facebook are now streaming their services all over Facebook. Uh, God is good, and um, we may not like the way things are going, and you may be hoping and hoping for every bit of normalcy to come once again. But um, who knows exactly how this will all work out? But there's this tendency... No matter what your sense of normal is, it, you, you hate it when it's changed, even if it's terrible. Even if your sense of normal is terrible, we grieve when normal changes. So here's the thing. There is an entire generation that is being born right now. Um... That Corbin is now a part of. That have absolutely that by the time they get to a certain point, they will have absolutely no memory of a world where the majority of the U.S. did not have laws and mandates concerning masks and vaccines. They will have no memory of a world without that. At the very least, it will become a footnote in their history books, whereas it was not a footnote in yours. I know because I have no memory of the New York skyline without two towers in it. I don't remember that. And I was five years old when that happened. I don't remember a world before that. The greatest piece of memory I might have is possibly seeing, uh, realizing that there are some... um, that the Spider-Man movie that came out the, in 2002 had to cancel a particular commercial that they put out that featured him webbing up a helicopter between the two towers. That is one of my primary memories of those two buildings. I'm just saying, no matter what your sense of normal is, it don't stay that way. That is part of what I'm talking about today. But in order to get there, let's start Genesis chapter number 50. I've not got a lot of verses to read. I'm going to jump around in this chapter. And these things may feel somewhat disjointed, but bear with me. Genesis 50, starting in verse number 1. Genesis 50, verse number 1. Genesis 50 is the... Last chapter of the book of Genesis, the very first book of your Bible. Last chapter of the first book. Last chapter of the first book of the Bible. That's right before Exodus chapter 1. 
Anyway, and Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. The physicians embalmed Israel. In Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, jumping down, Genesis 50, verse number 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you have yet to do in this place. We thank you for what you're doing for us as your people. We thank you that you have power to keep us in your will. You have power to keep us on our way to heaven. You have power in prayer to change the course of our lives and change the way that we do things. You've given us your word to speak to us your message, Lord. Let us hear your message clearly. Let us hear your message precisely. And let us not just do, let, let us not just hear, but also do all all that you have written in your word in Jesus name we love you we thank you for all that you're doing and all that you have yet to do in Jesus name I love you Lord amen in the Bible there's this place called Egypt that pops up several times as a general rule when someone goes to Egypt something bad's going on that's the way it works all throughout the Bible the very first time we hear Egypt mentioned uh, involves Abraham. Very first time we hear Egypt mentioned involves a man named Abraham who went and lied and ended up in trouble. We hear again. Next generation, someone goes to Egypt, they lie, they get in trouble. A few generations later, we come to where we are now. where somebody gets sent to Egypt, not by choice, but in the midst of it, somebody's lying and somebody's going to get in trouble. While Joseph is in Egypt, he ends up lied on, he ends up lied to, he ends up forgotten. And sitting in a prison cell, he ends up separated from his family for 20 years. Egypt became a place of slavery to Joseph. It became a place that dealt with a famine. And the only thing that could possibly help was the fact that someone there was listening to God. Now what, okay, in, your mo in our modern world, I say Egypt, what's the first image that comes to your head? A pyramid. What's in pyramids? Dead people. What do those dead people look like? Correct. Mummies. So mummies is our modern picture of what we think of Egypt. In the Bible, you think Egypt, you think slaves. You think Pharaoh. And you also have this tendency to picture deceit and trouble. In our modern picture, we think of Egypt and we think of preservation of the dead. The mummification process 
And in fact, in this chapter of the Bible, we hear about the mummification process. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the man in your Bible, known as Jacob, was buried as a mummy. Israel, the man named Israel, the man named Jacob, the man that raised up the 12 tribes of Israel, was a mummy when he was buried. In fact, he's one of the few people that we know for sure was in the Bible. We know for sure exactly how he was buried. Because that's been preserved by history. Step one, when Joseph told his physicians to embalm his father, would have been that they would have taken him into a room. They would have covered him in oils or whatever. But the first thing they would do, they would insert a hook through a hole near the nose and pull out the brain. They made a cut on the left side of his body near the stomach and removed all his internal organs and then let those internal organs dry. They placed the lungs, intestines, stomach, and liver inside of jars. They would place the heart back inside the body because the heart was considered the center of your thought, not, not the thing that they stuck, pulled out with uh, a hook. They said, oh, this organ's not too important up in the head. This organ here is the center of all thought and intention. Not exactly modern science, but that's what they believed. <laughs> so they put the heart back inside of the body because that organ was so important and critical. They rinsed the inside of his body with wine and spices. And then they covered the corpse with salt for 70 days. And after those 70 days, they would wrap the body from head to toe in bandages, which I think you guys know if you've been, been around in any modern Halloween. Uh, they put, and then they would place him inside of a sarcophagus, sarcophagus or a coffin. So once 40 days were fulfilled for him, once those days for the embalming were done, they mourned him for three score and ten days, seventy days. The Bible lines up with what I just read to you from a scientific textbook. <laughs> three score and ten days, or as this said, seventy days covered with salt. And forty days to stuff him with linen and sand to give it a more human shape. Forty days were fulfilled for the days of embalming and then 70 days for mourning. Then they placed him in a tomb. They placed him in a coffin. But he was not buried in Egypt. They walked him from Egypt, surrounded by a company of Egyptians, all mourning the death of this man. And they took him back to the place where Abraham was buried. He was not buried in a pyramid. He was, born into, born, he was buried in a cave in Israel, in the place that would become known as Israel. He was, uh, they were brought up with chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. They came to the threshing floor, which is beyond Jordan. They mourned with a very sore lamentation. He made a mourning for his father for seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. See, they had been in Egypt for so long that now the people of Canaan said, who was this great Egyptian that's been 
that has died. The mummification process was carried out on Israel. But this preservation of something thought of something dead to keep it in a certain shape was not only done on a man. Joseph said it this way. This was done to the nation. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it to good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them. Egypt did not just preserve Israel the man. Egypt preserved Israel the nation. I'm talking today about the preservation of Israel. What are God's people to do when they're faced with sinful society? What must God's people do when they're faced with a sinful world? Because that's what happened to Joseph. He was a good, godly young man that was suddenly placed into a horrible, sinful society. He was in the middle of a society that did not worship the same God, did not worship the same way, did not live the same lifestyle. And he had to fulfill the purpose of God. Why is it that we must endure hard things? That's a question a lot of people are asking right now. We're in, we're in an entire nation of people asking, why, what's my, what do we do in doing these hard things? How do we handle what's going on in the world? How do we handle what's going on in the church? And even down to specific individual lives, how do we handle it when we are suddenly plunged into something that doesn't necessarily make sense? It, do it, it doesn't make sense to us at all. Let's talk about Joseph. Joseph was Israel as he is known's no son. He was his he was the second to last son born to this man known as Israel or Jacob as he's listed more times in the Bible. Jacob, or Israel, was the father of 12 sons, and Joseph was the second to youngest and one of the only two born to the love of his life, Rachel. And Joseph was favored by his dad. He was well cared for, taken care of, and he had dreams given to him from God that he shared in an excited passion with his family. And his family did not like it because they knew he was the more favored son and did not like, not only are you being favored by our father, but now you're being favored by God himself. Why on earth is, are you doing this? Why are you being this way? And out of their jealousy, they threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave to Egypt, the place where this sinful society was. Joseph is sent there. And he responds by working hard, living the life that he was taught to live by his father. He still honors that God that gave him those dreams that he had. 
And as he worked to build up the wealth of the man known as Potiphar, who he was sold to as a slave, the place began to flourish. The place began to prosper to the point where Potiphar elevated him to being head over the household in a sense. He was the most favored of all the slaves, most taken care of and given the opportunity to be in charge. But in, the, in that time, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to this young, attractive slave and tries to get him to sleep with her. He says no and starts avoiding her until finally he gets caught in an awkward situation where he's only got two choices, give in or run, and he chooses to do what the Apostle Paul said and flee fornication. <laughs> Literally, he flees. But as he runs, his garment is grabbed, and once again, Joseph is stripped of a garment as he is on the run. <laughs> and Joseph serves time in a jail. But during that time, he elevates to the top position once again in the jail, takes care of other prisoners. And one night, there's a dream that two prisoners have. He tells them what their dream means and that they are from God. And the dreams come true. And he tells them, when you, are, when you make it out of here in fulfillment of this dream, please tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him I'm not supposed to be here. And the guy forgets him as soon as he's gone. So years pass in the jail cell. Seems like senseless evil, you might think. But God had a plan from day one. Ever since Joseph was 17 years old and had those dreams and told his brothers about it, God had a plan. Was God's plan that Joseph would be sold into slavery and become a prisoner and be lied on? Just keep that thought in your head for a second. A few years later, after he's been sitting in this jail cell, Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh's servant comes in and tells him, there's a guy that I know that can interpret dreams. I should have told you this two years ago, but I didn't. So Pharaoh says, go get him. Joseph interprets the dreams and warns Egypt that a famine is coming, but God has given you enough time to prepare for the famine that's coming. Seven years of plenty before you enter into seven years of a famine. So he gets elevated to the top position once again. But this time it's not top position of a jail. It's not top, top position of a servant's quarters. It is a top position in a nation. God has elevated him to the point where dreams have potential to be fulfilled. 
and he is going to save a nation from famine and not only one nation but multiple nations from famine because every nation around that's affected by this famine all comes to Egypt comes to him and <clears throat> he serves them and takes care of them and he preserves them in the time of trouble and one of those nations that come is his own brothers that had betrayed him. And he, he came and he served them. He took care of them. And then finally he says, after a, a long complicated process of going back and forth and lies and deception and all that, he ends up bringing them home, including his own father, and says, I have a city here that I'm going to let you live in and be saved and preserved from this famine. A nation was preserved in a sinful world. What benefit came? Joseph's dreams were preserved through pain because of a sinful society's decision. Joseph ended up saying this. What Joseph ended up saying this. After all this mess that went on, he says, you meant for evil, but God used it for good. What you meant for evil, God used for good to bring to pass, as it this is this day, to save much people alive. So, was God's plan for Joseph's brothers to betray him and throw him in a pit? Was God's plan for Potiphar's wife to lie on him and th get him thrown in prison? Was God's plan for Pharaoh's servant to commit a crime, end up in jail, and forget him after he was helped? Was that God's plan? Well, let me tell you what God's real plan was. God's plan was at the beginning of time for man to not eat a fruit. But man sinned. God's plan was for all of his angels to be wonderful servants that would not betray him, that would not turn against him. But they didn't all listen to that plan. So ever since those two decisions, every other decision has been made a lot more complicated. Every decision has become a lot more complicated. So now God has to let his will be done through sinful people. It was prophesied in... It was prophesied that a man... was going to come along and set his people free from Babylonian captivity. And the man was a sinner. He was a king. A sinful king. But in the days of Daniel, he set them free and let them go rebuild the temple. In this day and age that we're reading about with Joseph, a sinful king was used to keep the children of Israel safe. Evil things can preserve God's people. Yeah, 
Bad decisions can preserve God's people. The, the questions have been raised in our modern day and age. How can it be God's will that a sinful man could, uh, could be elected to an office? How can that be God's will? How can it be God's will for such and such or so and so to happen? God's will is a lot more complicated than you think. When you get to the minute specifics, I don't know is the key answer. The key answer to that is I don't know. I don't know if God's original plan was for Joseph to be lied on. I don't know if God's original plan was for Joseph to end up spending a long night in a pit. I don't know if it was God's plan for Joseph to spend 20 years in Egypt. But I do know that somehow God wanted Joseph to end up in Egypt. Amen. Somehow, someway, God wanted Joseph to end up in Egypt. God wanted him to be in a position of power where he could save those people. So what does that mean here and now? Was it God's intention for what happened in your life to happen? I don't know, but I know this. What they mean for evil, God uses for good. Whatever happens, God can use it for good. So what comes next in this story? Do you, do you realize that while it was God's plan for them to end up in Egypt so that they wouldn't die in a famine so his will could be fulfilled, we get to a couple generations later and there comes a Pharaoh that's never heard the name Joseph. Yeah. Amen. A Pharaoh comes along who's never heard of Joseph. And that Pharaoh puts the people of Israel, no longer just the children of the man Israel, but the great and great and great grandchildren of the man named Israel. 400 plus years, he says, I've never, I don't know where these people come from, but there's a whole lot of them to the point where they're about to outnumber us if we don't do something about it. So he puts the people of Israel into slavery. He makes them slaves. He makes them serve with rigor. He makes them build st statues and build buildings and build pyramids. All these things that you think of were being built. All those images you picture when you picture, picture Egypt a whole lot of it. Some of this history was created by the people of Israel. 400 years of slavery. Bondage entered. And they're in a sinful land. Keep it in mind. This place that preserved them in trouble before now became their trouble. They went there to survive trouble. And they survived trouble there. And it was said, God meant us to be here. And now we're slaves here. Now we're slaves here. The place that, that preserved them in trouble became their trouble. And 400 years passed. And 400 years later, one of those children of Israel produced a man and a woman. A man and a woman was produced. The woman's name 
was Jochebed, and Jochebed had a son, and she named him Moses. And Moses was raised in the palace by the daughter of Pharaoh. So now, this will be the deliverer of the people of Israel. They were preserved to the point where a son could be come out, even though all the sons were supposed to be destroyed. But in the land of sin, in the sinful society, something has been preserved again. And he's being preserved by the one causing the trouble. The only reason he's alive is because the one causing their trouble wants him alive. Even though he wants all the rest of them dead. But this one has been chosen, has made it out. And he's going to be their deliverer. This trouble is bringing deliverance from the trouble. It don't make sense. It don't sound right. Something sounds a little bit off here, don't it? Deliverance came. But now the deliverance comes by more trouble. Because once Moses comes back and he's holding his stick out and saying, let my people go. Here's how God says to let the people go. Put that stick in the water. And the water becomes blood. And now, for several more days, there's no drinking water in the entire land. Including for the people of God. All your drinking water is blood now. And this is supposed to be our way out of trouble? This is how you're preserving us? By taking away all of our drinking water? I'm not just messing with you. We're all sitting here and we're thinking, God, how are you planning to take care of us? There's a giant disease sweeping through the land. I'm not just messing with you. So a few days later, the, the, the water gets fixed and Pharaoh says, no, I'm still not letting you go. Texas preached last week talking about it was the right time for you to be ripped off. Guys, that blood was the right time for them to be ripped off. <laughs> Once again, this time, God says, okay, they're not going to listen. Let's, send them, let's fill the land with frogs. And that's in the land of God's people as well. Their hometown is also filled with frogs. Everyone's dealing with frogs. They're stinky. They're nasty. They're in the way. They're in your bedroom. They're in your kitchen. Frogs. He comes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, get rid of them. And he says, how long do you want to wait till I get rid of them? Uh, this time tomorrow, I want them gone. So this time tomorrow, the frogs are gone. He still doesn't let them go. And now the whole land, including Israel's people, are dealing with lice. Who likes lice? No one. Your heads are itching just thinking about it. They're everywhere. They're all around the land. Every single person in the, in the entire land is dealing with lice. 
The entire nation is dealing with lice, and God's people have to deal with all of it. Is this preservation? How's this taking care of us? It's taking care of you. Just be patient. Just be patient. Because once the lice are gone, God's going to send flies. But something's different this time. Flies are everywhere. Except for that little city that Joseph chose for his people 400 years ago. Flies are everywhere. But there's no flies in the kitchen in Goshen. Next, after the flies are gone, all the cows are dying. But no cow dies in the land of Goshen. No cow, no sheep, no nothing is going to die in the land of Goshen. And I, I have always found that line so interesting. No cattle of the Israelites died. No old cow of the Israelites died. No already sick cow of the Israelites died. No cow of the Israelites died. That just struck me as interesting. Even if you're already suffering a problem, it's not going to be destroyed during this time. Maybe they didn't mean it that way, but that's always what just stuck out to me. The entire land gets sick next with boils. Except for in Goshen. The entire Egyptian crops get taken out by continuous hell. And this just struck me the last time I was reading in my Bible. The entire land is dealing with a hellstorm. How, how long do hellstorms typically last in your, in your brain? 10, 15 minutes. This one went on for days. It went little. It was huge. It wiped out entire fields. But whatever survived after that days-long hailstorm gets eaten up by bugs the next, the, the next day. Locusts come through and destroy everything. And none of this, this hailstorm, stopped right at city limits of Goshen. You ever stood on the edge of a storm and you can literally see the end of it? That's what they could see. And this next one, it's dark everywhere for days on end. Except for there. Darkness such as could be felt. It's like you literally cannot see. It's dark as closing your eyes. For days on end. But it's weird to imagine. Could they see just far enough in the distance that there's somehow still light over there in that city that Joseph chose 400 years ago? Egypt only dealt with six plagues. Everybody dealt with three. But that tenth one was different. It was based on will you apply the blood to
to your home. God has a specific pattern in mind. A certain sheep, a certain lamb has to be chosen for a certain number of people. If it's too much for your house, invite your neighbors over. If it's Moses gave them specific way, this specific lamb on this specific night, eat, eat dinner in this specific way, dress this certain way, have your walking stick in your hand as you eat because you got to get ready because you're leaving the night. Because that night, an angel of death is going to go through the land and kill the firstborn of anyone who doesn't have blood on your doorpost. But this is what I find so interesting about this preservation that happened in the land of sin for the people of God. If you are an Israelite, but don't put blood on your door, your firstborn will die. If you are an Egyptian, but you put blood on your door, your firstborn will not die. So even if Pharaoh himself had been listening and decided to do it, could the next king of Egypt have been saved? So this is all that's going on all this time. And it looks awful. And if you're looking outside your window and you're seeing all this trouble, flies and locusts and frogs and blood and death and disease, financial destruction, all you're thinking is, why so much trouble? If you're an Egyptian and you're thinking, I didn't do anything to these people. I didn't do nothing. I don't deserve this. If you're, if you're an Israelite and you're thinking, I'm the person being hurt already. Why is my drinking water messed up? Why is my house filled with frogs? God's got a plan. He's got an agenda. He wants to utterly decimate the land of Egypt. And then he wants them to realize that you're different. And then he wants them to realize you have a chance that if you'll follow my rules, you don't have to be destroyed. If you'll follow my law, if you'll follow my principles, if you'll follow what I have in mind, I can preserve people. Miracles can't happen without trouble, and miracle is the only way that you're going to make it out of the world as it is right now. Miracles can't happen without trouble, so sometimes you have to realize that a problem is going to happen. A problem is going to come. Something's going to happen, and we need to respond in the way that God would have us to respond. We need to stay true to God. We need to stay true to his law. We need to keep on being absolutely, unquestionably the peace, the people of God. Because if you don't live where Joseph said to live 400 years ago, you're going to deal with trouble. But that was 400 years ago. Hey, 
it's not our fault that we're even here. My dad just happened to come over here once upon a time, and I, I never even chose to live in Israel, to live in Egypt. I was just born here. I didn't do nothing to get here. Each generation has to make a decision to follow God. You need to remember the words of Joseph, what this world means for destruction God can use for good. And it was said, God will show today that I put a difference between my people and their people. There's a difference in my people and their people. So, in a message... Scott Graham preach, preach, uh, preaches about this story. And he wants you to realize, he says that there are three different types of problems that we deal with in this life. There are problems everybody deals with. There are problems the world deals with. And there are problems that you have a choice whether or not you deal with. Everybody's going to get sick. Everybody gets sick. Not everybody deals with cursed finances. Everybody has hard times hit once in a while. Not everybody has to deal with addictions. Everybody has a choice in the end, heaven or hell. There are your three types of problems. There's problems brought on by sin. There's problems brought on, brought on by being human. And there's problems brought on by not making the decision to follow Jesus and applying the blood to your life. God puts a difference between his people and Egypt. Between his people and Egypt. So we live in a sinful world. We live in a sinful world, just like they did back then. They lived in a sinful nation. Guess what? Whether you want to admit it or not, you live in a sinful nation right now. But you can make the decision. The blood is applied to my doorpost. The blood is applied to my life. I follow Jesus. I live the lifestyle of holiness. I live as an apostolic in this world, not as a sinner. You want preservation? Do you want to be preserved in the time of trouble? There is a difference between God's people and the people of Egypt. There's a difference. Let's go back to Genesis 50. I'm getting ready to wrap up here. So if I can get music or something, somebody. I'm getting ready to wrap up. I'm reading the last two, the last three verses of Genesis 50. Joseph said to his brethren, this is Joseph on his deathbed. Joseph is on his deathbed. Joseph is an old man now. He has seen his great-grandchildren. And he's surrounded by his brethren dying. I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, 
God will surely visit you and carry you will carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Israel was buried in Israel. Joseph was buried in Egypt. So what happens if we die in the land of trouble? I preached a message a little while back called, This World is Not My Home. This world is not my home. So what happens if someone dies still dealing with the trouble of this world that we're in? I know God's coming. His promise will be fulfilled. And I don't want to stay here. God's going to come back. So if you die in the middle of trouble, know this. You have been preserved. If you have been filled with the Holy Ghost and the blood is applied to your life, you have been preserved. I've heard it preached multiple times with these little water bottles. The Holy Ghost is what keeps you preserved. It's that lid to the bottle. It's what's going to keep it from leaking out. God can preserve you. So you got to make sure I've got the preservation on. I've got the preservation. I'm being preserved. I'm going to make it out of here. God's going to put a, put something between me and Egypt. Even if I die here. Even if I die still dealing with the problem. Even if I never make it out of here. Even if I don't. When I die, I want to make sure that there's a door already on my grave. By the way, guys. This is another one archaeology can prove. They found the city of Goshen. They found the city of Goshen. And in there, they found a tomb with 12 coffins in it. And another spot where it looked like there used to be a coffin, but it was gone. <laughs> they actually found it. Well, it's just cool to me realizing they found it there used to be something there but there's not now so what am I meaning here by this talk of make the deal I'm not staying here even if I die here Paul put it this way Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will meet them in the air. Joseph said, I show you a mystery. <laughs> You're not all going to be stuck in Egypt forever. <laughs> You're not all going to be stuck in Egypt forever. But it's going to change in a moment of a twinkling of an eye. And I want to leave with you. I want to go to the promised land to 
God told us. He told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had a plan for us. He, he told the disciples that he's got a land waiting for us up in the sky. He's got a home waiting for us up there. Right now, you have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to get sick. In this world, you might lose your job. In this world, you might lose your home. In this world, you might have a, tri- a little bit of trouble, tribulation, and problems. People might not all agree with you. People may not like your lifestyle. People may not think you're supposed to be praying all the time. People may say you don't need to fast. People may say you don't got to dress the way that you dress. You don't got to experience the things the way you've experienced them. You don't got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You don't have to repent at an altar. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to speak in tongues. But in this world, you're going to have people disagree with you, fight you, and cause trouble for you. overcome the world. I can preserve you in that trouble. And you need to remember what Joseph is saying here. Even if I die here, I'm not staying here. Because God gave me a promise that he would take care of me. And God is putting a difference between his people and their people. You're facing trouble, but if you follow God according to his word, you will preserve through the trouble. And even if you don't completely make it out of the trouble, there is coming a day where I'm going to meet him in the clouds. I'm going to heaven. So if you would, here's the way it works. You're dealing with trouble. If you're not 100% sure that you are going to make it out, if you're not 100% sure that your God is already preserving you, you, you need to find an altar. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. You need to get to that seal of having the name of Jesus applied to your life in baptism. We need to find a place we need to pray. And if you're filled... Glory to God. Let's come and let's worship today. So let's come. Let's get in his presence. Let's say, God, I thank you that you're preserving me in trouble. God, I thank you that I'm going to make it out. God, I thank you. It don't have to be this way all the time. I thank you that you have come. You have preserved me. And I'm going to make it out.